St. Warburg's Derby. Uh, my name's Dan. It's, it's really, really great to be here today. Um, and I'm going to be continuing our series on identity, which we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And I, I love this series because it's so applicable to our lives. We, we live in a world where we're bombarded with messages about who we should be, about how we should live, about where we should find identity and purpose and meaning and fulfillment whether that be in our social media followers, whether that be in how, uh, how much we earn, our job, the size of our house, our car, our friends, the way we look, the way we dress, even when we don't realize we're bombarded with that message. And the Bible tells a very different story. And what I love about the Bible, it speaks right to the core of those issues that all human beings will face. Who am I? Who are you? The Bible speaks to the core of it or a very, very different but gracious message, which I believe will bring us freedom. And as we was worshipping tonight, um, I, I really loved worship tonight, by the way, bands. It was brilliant. Thank you. Um, and what I loved was when we started singing things which God says about us, singing identity statements from Scripture, we came alive as a congregation, we came alive. You felt an expectation building in the room because it's one thing to hear the words and it's another thing to go, no, I believe this. No, this is what God says about me. This is what God says today, tomorrow and forevermore. However I feel, whatever I do or don't do, God says I'm chosen. God says I'm loved. God says I'm a child of God. God says he's for me and not against me. And as we sung those words, you've got a sense in the congregation, in this room tonight, that we believed it. And it wasn't just something in our heads, but it started to impact our hearts. And my challenge for us tonight, let's not just leave that in worship each Sunday. Let's allow it to impact our hearts, to change us on a Monday morning and a Tuesday afternoon and then a meeting on a Wednesday and we're without our friends on a Friday night. Let's live that out, what Jesus says about us. So I believe this topic speaks to the core of who we are as humans. And I believe the challenge is not just hearing it, but allowing the Holy Spirit to take it from our heads to our hearts so that it changes our lives and we live differently. Today we are, um, just going to get my phone out, I'm not texting, just don't want my notes to blow away, it's, it's a bit of a breeze behind me. Um, uh, we, we are, the, the title of today's uh, preach is, um, I am chosen not forsaken, and we're going to uh, go to 1 Peter 2 together. Uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, feel free to, to get it out to, to find 1 Peter 2, it's, it's right the way near the back. Um, if you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, it will appear on the screens. Um, and if you would like a Bible but don't have a Bible, there are a few dotted around the venue. There's some by the pillar, there's some over here, but you will have to do a walk of, sh- well, not a walk of shame, a walk of joy, because you're going to get a Bible, and we love reading the Bible. So if anyone wants to do the walk of joy, I'll give you a little mention as you come down and collect a Bible. Um, and uh, we're going to read from 1, 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 9 and 10. Um, so join me in uh, reading this. It says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I believe in these two short verses... 
Peter answers the three fundamental questions of life. Who are you? Where did you get that identity from? And what am I here for? And in the next uh, 20 minutes or so, we're going to try and answer those questions together. So would you uh, join with me in prayer? God, I thank you that you are in our midst. I thank you that what scripture says is true yesterday, is true today, and is true forevermore. And I pray this evening that we would take what you say from our heads to our hearts and you would meet with us by the power of your spirit and we would leave this place transformed. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, I'm a teacher, as, as Phil mentioned, and, uh, and the great thing about teaching, I say great, what I really mean is stressful. The stressful thing about teaching is that no day is ever the same. Uh, you're, you're forever surprised by how unique teenagers are. And what I mean by unique is I'm not even sure they're human beings, because they just do things differently to the rest of humanity. Um, and, and no day is the same, and I do, I do really love it, and I love working with young people, and I love how different every day is. I could tell you a thousand stories about some of the crazy things teenagers teenagers uh, get up to in school. But um, the week before half term, on the Thursday morning, uh, it was 8.23am. And the reason I know it was 8.23am to the dot was because I had seven minutes until my morning briefing started. And I was panic finishing my resources for lesson one, which starts at 8.40, straight after the morning briefing. And three year nine girls knock on my door And normally when you knock, you wait for an answer, don't you? That's what I would do anyway. You knock on a door. The point of knocking is that you can see if you can enter. But the knock quickly proceeded walking through the door. And before I could stop them, they were sitting at the desk in front of me going, Sir, I need to talk to you about something. I'm like, okay, I'm just, just in the middle of something. No, sir, it's really important. I'm like trying to type and talk to them. I don't actually type like this, but that's the best typing sort of gesture I can do. Um, But they said, Sir, I need to speak to you. And I go, okay, okay, what is it, what is it? And, and, and Chloe is, is, at this point, finding it hard to get her words out. And all I want to do is shout at her, Chloe, do you know I have to be in a meeting in six minutes and I've not printed my work and then I'm teaching period one and this is going to be a disaster. But I patiently said, what is it, Chloe? How can I help you? Um, and, and she struggled to get her words out. And, and, and eventually she said to me, sir, um, I've, I've had a bit of a problem the last, last couple of days. I said, I said, why is that, Chloe? <laughs> Teenagers have always got problems. Um, but this one looked a little more serious. And I said to her, well, why is that, Chloe? And she said, well, uh, yesterday in science, um, Hayden said to me, he turned around and, uh, and he said to me, go kill yourself. And I sort of tried not to look shocked or, uh, or taken back by it. And I said, obviously, that's, that's not a nice thing to hear, Chloe. And, and we'll make sure as, as teachers that we'll do something about that. We'll follow that up. I'll talk to his head of house and we'll make sure we, we address that because that's not nice. Um, and she said, OK, thanks, sir. And we had a brief uh, moment where I could say, that's obviously not true. You know it's not true. And then I went about my day, had to get to my meeting. She went off. But I could clearly see that that wasn't enough for her. She was shaken by this. She was upset. It just didn't sit right. And the reality is teenagers in school, they they say all sorts of horrible things to each other. They're at a stage where they are trying to form their identity. They're not sure who they are. Do they fit in with this crowd or that crowd? And how can I be myself and, and express myself? And it comes out in all sorts of different ways. And one of those ways is often being horrible to each other. So it happens a lot, and normally they get over it pretty quickly, but, but Chloe didn't. Um, and she came back to see me with her friends again at lunchtime, uh, which I was pleased about because they did want to follow this up. And she came in and she sat down again and said, Sir, um, 
I wanted to let you know why I was a bit upset about that. And I said, okay, Chloe, like, we can chat. You know, it's lunchtime. I was trying to eat my lunch. Um, I get free school dinners, one bonus of working in a school. Um, so I had my spaghetti bolognese and crumble and custard, uh, which was good. And sometimes, believe it or not, now I am digressing, I go and work in my cupboard because then kids don't bother you. So I go into my store cupboard. It's about this big. And I sit on a chair. And then they can't bother me because they don't know I'm in my room. Um, but... So that's a true story. You didn't need to know that, but now you do. When you really do need to get work done. Um, but Chloe comes in with her friends, and, and I say, what is it, Chloe? And she says, um, the, the thing is, uh, it really hurt me because it reminded me of last year. And, and I said, well, well, what was it last year? She said, well, towards the end of, well, sort of halfway through year eight, um, I, I was spending a lot of time with this friendship group, and I fell out with them. I didn't really have any friends, and they were really mean to me. And I spent most of my day at school on my own, and I, uh, and I started self-harming, and I just, I just didn't want to live. And she said those words to me, and I, I instantly wanted to preach the gospel at her, but obviously that's not acceptable in school, so I didn't. I'm looking to keep my job for now. Um, and so I responded and I asked her a few questions and I checked she was okay. And obviously I followed all of this up and I said, well, what is it, Chloe? She said, well, I've got past it, sir. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm in a better place. I've made new friends. They're good for me. But it just took me back to that place. This was the word she said. It took me back to that place of feeling alone, of feeling isolated, of feeling forgotten, not wanted by anyone. And it meant that she did some things which she probably regrets. And she was in a place where she just didn't want to live. Because being forgotten, what's the point in life if you're forgotten? If you're not wanted, if there's no one that accepts you and welcomes you? And we had this moment where I obviously told her it wasn't true and I'm glad you're in a better place. But but she didn't seem happy with that answer. She was taken back to this moment and she was experiencing all those emotions again. And so off she went and lunch was over and the lessons began again and, and... after school, in period five, I was free, and I gathered a few of her mates, and I got them. I said, look, we need a bit of a plan to help Chloe out, and they're, they're nice kids. And I said to them, look, what I want you to do, I've got some post-it notes, write some things about Chloe that you like, and I'm going to steal a few of her exercise books, and we're just going to stick it in the next page, so that when she's in science or whatever lesson, she opens it up and she sees something nice about her. Um, and so we did that. I took her English book and her history book and her RE book, because I'm her RE teacher. That was easy. Um, I didn't take her maths book. I'm a little bit scared of a maths teacher, so I left that one alone. But history and science were friends, so I nicked their books. I didn't tell them, but I snapped these post-it notes in, and, um, and, and then a couple of days later, she comes back to see me, and she, she looked angry. I was like, oh no, what's going on here? She said, sir, I'm really angry with you. I was like, go on, carry on. Um, you still just get used to anything in school. And she said, I'm really angry. You made me cry in class. And then her face started changed. I was like, oh, okay, well, what happened? She said, those notes, they really meant something to me. And then we had a bit of a conversation about her, and we talked about her new friendship group and how she felt important and how she felt wanted and accepted for who she was. And actually, she was in a better place, and she just needed to shake this off. But for Chloe, the year before, being forgotten meant it's, it's not worth living. And I believe what Peter is talking about in this bit of scripture is that actually speaks to the core of our human identity because when we are forgotten well to be forgotten is to be isolated it is to be not wanted it is to be unimportant it is to be outside of the circle and and at that point you kind of lose purpose and for Chloe she lost purpose, she found purpose in her friends, but, but just one moment took her back to that place. And I believe for us that uh, a little bit like Chloe, 
it's really easy to know what God says about us, to move into this better place. You moved into this better place, you had a good friendship group, but just one moment, one sentence, although a horrible sentence, it took her right back to where she was last year. She experienced all those emotions again and she was ready to turn 180 degrees and go, that's where I belong. I am forgotten, I'm not wanted, I should go and kill myself. Those are the emotions I experienced and just one thing took me back there. And I believe for us tonight, as we get into this piece of teaching from Peter, which helps us understand our identity. I believe that too often our identity is shaped by what is directly in front of our face, our feelings, our emotions and our circumstances, that we are pushed from left to right by how we feel when we wake up, by what social media says, by what the news says, by what our friends say. And even though we know these things of what it says in scripture, of what God says about us, When something goes wrong in life, when we lose our job or we have a health problem, our friend says this about us, or someone says that's not acceptable, why did you do that, or we fall out with someone, we so quickly go, well, it can't be true for me. It can't be true for me because this happened. It can't be true for me because that happened. It's for someone else. It's not for me. God clearly hasn't chosen me because this is going on. And I believe what God is asking us to do tonight is to go, whatever is in front of my face, good or bad, However however I feel, whatever I've done or haven't done, I'm going to look beyond my circumstances and I'm going to look to the anchor that is Scripture which says I'm chosen, not forsaken, which says I'm a child of God, that I am loved and that I'm called and that I have a purpose. That is what Scripture says and that is our anchor and that is the only place we can find permanent, steadfast, confident identity. And I believe that is our greatest challenge, to look past what's in front of our face and to to truly stand uh, uh, in what God says about us. And so um, I believe uh, in this bit of scripture, Peter gives us three things uh, that we can base our identity on um, under this understanding of chosenness. And the first one is, uh, Peter opens up by saying, you are a chosen people. Or in the ESV version, it says you are a chosen race. And uh, my first thought about this is that actually um, you're a chosen race. That's corporate. That's a a group thing. And, And what I believe, what scripture says here, is that you are a chosen people. We are chosen together. It's not one group or that group or this group or this people or that people. It is people from all the people groups chosen as a corporate identity to understand our chosenness in this environment called church. Where people from all the people groups, people from all sorts of different uh, cultures and backgrounds and beliefs come together and go, now I understand my chosenness in God. But also that corporate identity has an individual impact. You're chosen by God, not by anything you have done or haven't done, not by your merit, not by your hard work, not by your behaviour, not by how much you serve or don't serve in church, not by what you said or what you did last night. You are chosen. You are chosen. You are chosen. That's what scripture says. End of sentence, full stop. It is based on God's action towards us and not what we can do. There's not a single person in this room that can add to your chosenness. 100% it is God's action towards us and not what we can or can't do. I believe that's the battle, what I talked about at the beginning. That you know, our chosenness 
Are we going to accept what the world says about identity or are we going to accept what Scripture says that we are chosen? Are we going to trust our feelings and emotions or are we going to trust what Scripture says even when we don't feel it? Because our feelings sometimes are misleading. Feelings are from God. It's a part of who we are as human beings and so they are good. However, sometimes they lead us down the wrong path. And I'm sure we all know that from experience. Sometimes they lead us into dark places, difficult places. Sometimes they lead us uh, into the wrong place. And so therefore we need to go, actually, this is what my feelings are telling me. This is what the Word of God is telling me. And I'm going to trust and believe the Word of God even when I don't feel it. So identity description number one, you are chosen. Uh, number two is you have been mercied. Um, and everyone who is four years old or older will know that I've made up a word there. There is no such word in the English dictionary as mercied. Um, but in verse 10, um, and I'm going to tell you why I've used that word in a second. In verse 10 it says, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Um, and in the original language, mercy um, is a verb. But in English, you can't make mercy a verb. The closest uh, translated word we have is pitied. Uh, but the word pitied has uh, negative connotations. And it's, it's also quite a passive word. It's not an active word. But God's mercy towards us is active. It's God acting on our behalf to save us. God doesn't just choose us and save us and, and stand back and go good luck. He doesn't choose us, uh, we've talked a bit about football tonight, let's talk about football again. Um, he doesn't choose us, stick us on the football pitch, stand back like a manager and go, well if you perform you can stay out there. If you score goals you can stay out there. But if you don't, I'm hooking you off and you're on the subs bench. You've been taken out of the team. Callum Wilson has just been uh, uh, picked by the England team for this weekend for the international football. It's his big breakthrough moment. He's, there's been lots of talk about him making the team. He's scored lots of goals the last couple of seasons for Bournemouth, and he's made the team. But to stay in the team, he's got to perform. To stay in the team, he's got to score goals, and he's got to meet a standard. If not, Gareth Southgate will get rid of him and find the next best thing, the next striker to try out, the next striker who might perform better. But what, uh, the fact that we are mercied, what that means is, that God chooses us, but then every single day continues to act on our behalf with mercy. It's all God's action towards us, not our action, not our performance. God chooses us, but he doesn't just choose us, he also draws near to us. You've been chosen, you are mercied. Identity description number three, you are God's possession. And this is uh, expressed in both uh, verses 9 and 10. In verse 9 it says, You are a people for God's own possession. And then in 10 it says, Once you were not, in verse 10 it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. So God takes us to be his own possession. And God, of course, is the creator of the universe. God has made and owns everything. But there's something more to this than that. It's not just what it says in Psalms, that the world is the Lord's and everything in it. That's true. However, there's, there's more to this that Peter is talking about. We, as followers of Jesus, are God's special possession, his own inheritance. And Paul, in uh, 2 Corinthians, picks up a similar theme. He says this, he says, I will live with them. He's talking about God. I will live with them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. 
God possesses us so that he might give himself to us in a personal walking with us relationship. I love that phrase that that, that God longs to walk with us. When I picture someone walking with me, I picture them walking alongside. It's a side-by-side relationship. It's a journey. It's doing life together. And I believe that's what God wants for us. He doesn't just choose you and say you're one of mine. He acts mercifully towards you. God's mercies are new every day for you. Whatever yesterday was like, God promises that when you wake up, his mercies are new. But it's for a purpose. And that purpose is that you might walk alongside him. That God desires a relationship with you. The living God, the creator of the universe, desires to be in personal, walking with, daily relationship with you. In the boring, in the spectacular, in the mundane, in the difficult, in the amazing. God desires to be in a relationship with you in all of it. God's choosing of you is not a one-time event. When you got saved, when you gave your life to Jesus, when you was baptised. Or even a once a week event when you turn up at church and you sing some songs and you remind yourself of what God says about you. Now it's a, it's a daily, hourly, minute by minute event where God says every bit of your life is special because you are chosen and you are valued. And that is the challenge. Can we live out our chosenness in a personal walking with relationship with God? That is our identity. We are chosen, we are mercied, and we are God's possession. Well, where do we get this identity from? We can sum that up in one word. God. It's all God's action towards us. It's not what we do or what we bring to the table. It's God's action towards us. You are chosen. End of sentence. No small print involved. So then, what is our purpose? And I think it can be summed up in in what I've just said that we are to walk with God. And when we walk with God, I believe, we start to live out our purpose. And then Peter uh, continues um, this passage by saying in verse 9, he goes on to say that you may proclaim the excellencies in the ESV version or the praises in the NIV, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. That you've been chosen, you've been acted mercifully upon. God longs to be in relationship with you so that you can proclaim his excellencies. And that's not to say if you're not doing that, suddenly you're disqualified from being chosen. Of course not. That is not what Peter is saying. Your chosenness is not dependent upon anything else other than God's action towards you. However, as you see the journey from, from chosen to mercy to relationship with God as you have that daily relationship with God you start to live it out by suddenly you find yourself in conversation in your daily life proclaiming the one who has given you your identity God has given it to us and you find yourself proclaiming that and declaring what God has done for you actually as we begin to accept our identity through the Holy Spirit's work that it goes from head to heart Suddenly we find ourselves, our identity being synonymous with our purpose and our destiny of proclaiming Jesus. And what I love about that as our purpose is that we can all do that. Whatever season we're in, however difficult or amazing life might be. 
whatever life is throwing at you at the moment, whatever the world says about your identity, it's possible in your situation to go, I'm going to walk with Jesus and all that I do, and I'm going to do my best by the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim his excellencies. And, you know, there's a, a lot of discussion at the moment about uh, self-identity and, and looking inwards to find ourselves. And I really enjoyed Andy's sermon a couple of weeks ago uh, and he talked about where people look for their identity. Lots of people look outwards. What do people say about me? But in our current culture, it's actually looking inwards. How can I find my identity within myself? And, and Andy said there's, there's benefits to those things. However, that's not where we find our identity as Christians. Christian identity or Christian selfhood is not defined by those around us or from within ourselves. It's not defined by looking in the mirror or completing a survey or comparing yourself to social media followers. It's defined in terms of what God does to us, his choosing of us and the relationship he creates with us and the purpose he has for us. And so to talk about God's identity is to talk about God's action towards you, God's love for you, God's grace for you, God's choosing of you and God's mercy for you.